Okay, so welcome to Healing the City podcast. Um, I'm Adrienne Crawford, and today I have a special guest, Ashley Cousineau. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be here. So Ashley works here in Tucson as a lawyer. Um, and what court system do you work in? I work in the juvenile court system. So I work with children that are currently involved in uh, cases with the Department of Child Safety, um, also known as CPS more colloquially, and I represent them in foster care proceedings. I actually watched a film this past year called Beautiful Boy, um, and it's about a child who struggles with um, meth, but there's a scene when it goes into the brain and what happens when a person uses um, meth and, um, you know, like a regular frontal lobe and then the person who uses meth and, and, and it's literally lights up red, like the brightest red. And it's he's like, that's your amygdala and it's screaming. And then, you know, they talk about how it takes three years to like, um, to stop having the cravings. I mean, I don't know if, you know, I'm using a movie as my quote, but I'm pretty, but based on like why they made the film, it's kind of a semi documentary, semi just story to allow people to experience, um, the traumas and difficulties that it can be to get out of meth. Yes. Yes. That's very, um, it, it is. It's a very bad problem here in Tucson. Methamphetamine is a, a very big problem. And um, it's very addictive. And it's also a problem because when you smoke methamphetamine, the um, methamphetamine particles can get over anything in the room. And it can get on your clothing. It can get... Um, so it's very easily transferable to children, especially little children that are touching things and putting things in their mouth. I've had several clients that are not newborn babies. They're older children that have been exposed to methamphetamine. You can test that through their hair follicle testing. And they've been exposed to methamphetamine, not because they're sitting there and they're smoking it with their parents, but because their parents are smoking it in the home. The residue is getting over objects in the home. The children are touching them and putting them in their mouth. Um, so that also... Um, it, it's a it's a very problematic thing because that can uh, affect children later on down the road. They might not have immediate side effects, but that can affect them lifelong with um, behavioral health issues or learning issues as they as they grow in their development. So it's really um, it's it's very challenging to to be successful. Unfortunately, our reunification rate is in Pima County is less than 50%. So, wow. So That's... the less than 50% of ch- parents who have their children removed are going to be reunited with their with their kids. That's really sad. It is. Yes. So, um I think that um more access to resources is key in that um more support for parents um on the front end because they really have to hit the ground running. And a lot of times it's very confusing. Your child's just been removed. You're angry. You're upset. You're feeling disappointed with yourself. You're depressed. It's hard to get moving. And it's really time is of the essence. And they, the people that get the most help are the people that scream the loudest at the beginning to get the help they need. Because if you just kind of 
if you don't assert yourself, you're not going to get necessarily the hope that you need. But everyone responds to trauma differently, right? And so, right. like, some people just shut down, I could imagine, or... You know, I just imagine, you know, on days when I wake up to like a, a, a challenging email, like work related or kid related, I mean, it's hard to get your brain like back on track to like, no, no, I got to get these stuff done today and not just derail. And that's like a very small comparison to what these families are going through. But I think to your point, I can imagine that it would be really hard to right to have your children removed and then advocate for yourself to get those services. Right. Um Right, exactly. So how do you see Jesus and or the gospel interacting with you and your work? Uh, well, I, it's definitely very present. It's, you know, Jesus is very present in what I do. Um, you know, I am advocating, you know, f- for the orphans. I'm, I'm, I'm advocating for... Um, the children that have been forgotten. I'm advocating for the children who have been abused, who have been neglected. Um, and every time I meet with one of my clients, I am coming into their story and I am entering in and I am offering a, a voice for them. I am offering an advocate, a friend, I'm sitting with them in their struggle. I've had several clients just really pour out all of their hurting and all of their the trauma that they've been through because they they don't know how otherwise to express it. They just have to get it out. And so sitting with them in the hard places and I've sat with clients where there's no um, especially some of my older clients where there's they really want to be with a family they want to be out of a group home and in a foster home and there's no foster homes for teenagers and sitting with them in that sadness um, so um, so I really feel like Jesus has given me the ability to do that because a lo- unfortunately there's a very high turnover in this area um, in this field because it is so emotionally taxing and I feel like Jesus has given me the capacity to hold these really hard stories and and just to um and and to, to continue to still enter in every day like every day it's a new set of horrible horrible circumstances that these kids have endured that I'm entering into and trying to offer some light to them. Mm-hmm. So um, I wouldn't be able to do this job if it, if it weren't for Jesus um, and his story um, entering into my life and allowing me to do this. Hmm. And how often are you, um, just a practical quick question, how many cases do you get a week or a day? Like? Um, it varies uh, from... Week to week, I can tell you my current caseload. I have a hundred and six cases, so that's so you're holding a hundred and six stories. Well, that's just that's just families. So some families, under some cases, I have multiple children. I mm. haven't recently counted, but I usually hover around a hundred and seventy-five to two hundred clients because I will represent sibling groups. In you know, so one case could be five siblings. So. Sure. Um, there's 
you know, a lot of stories that I hold at any given time. And, you know, my cases, depending on how many cases I have, my I'll get assigned more cases or less, fewer cases. Um, so, but I typically average around 100, um, low 100s as far as families that I'm working with. So, um, so it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to, I'm really only able to see my clients every few months, you know, and I would like to see them more often because I feel like there's a lot more that could, could be done. But, you know, with being in court and then having to go see kids, it's just, there's not enough time in the day to do it. So, Hmm. um, that is the, um, that's the hard part of my job is like, you know, I'm there for an hour every three months and trying to form that trust and form that relationship. It's, it's challenging. Mm -hmm. I'd like to stay longer and I'd like to enter in more. And so hopefully it takes a lot of faith. I imagine trusting Jesus to meet them in the spaces when you're not there. Right. Right. And you know, part of my job is to make sure they have their support network built up. And so if they need a therapist, if they need, um, a mentor, you know, we can advocate for that. My office can advocate for that so that we can ensure that they have people walking with them on a more daily basis to ensure that they're being seen and they're being heard. Um, so I've been able to do that for several of my clients. So you mentioned that teenagers often, there aren't homes. I'm going to go out on a leap here and guess that that's because there's a stigma against teens that their their behaviors are more challenging or that people who are doing foster care may be doing it because they want babies or um, small children that they could potentially adopt and raise Um, if if that's not true then correct me but if it is (laughs) unfortunately so um, what would you say to people who were maybe like I could take in a teenager, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid of, you know, um, that they're older or whatever it is. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe share some of your own story in that question too? Absolutely. So um, I have a real heart for teenagers. I think that they are, they come with baggage, you know. They have a relationship. A lot of times they've lived with their parents for 10 years and they love their parents, even though their parents may not have taken good care of them or even abused them. You know, there's a lot wrapped up in that relationship, that parental relationship. And so you're not necessarily mom and dad. You are, you know, Ashley and Michael. Michael's my husband. You know, you're, you're referred to in that role. But these kids... They're sitting in group homes right now. And, you know, group homes, they're they're better than more orphanages, you know, the old orphanages you see in the movies. But, you know, it's a bunch of teenagers together with staff members and they get in trouble. They get, they don't have that individualized parent-child relationship uh, with their caregiver. They don't have opportunities to go on trips. They don't have opportunities to play sports they mm-hmm. are really limited in what they can do. And so because of that, they start getting in trouble, that they start breaking the law. And it's just a vicious cycle that continues. And I think a lot of potential foster parents for teenagers get a little intimidated because the kid may have a delinquency history. 
Um, they may have a substance abuse problem that they have picked up. Um, and it's a little, um, so it's scary because mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen to your own family. You don't know what's going to happen to your home. But um, what I can say is that a lot of these kids would not have these problems if they were in an environment that provided them with consistency, with limits, with loving limits, and with um, with just more of a normal childhood. They wouldn't have these problems. Um, or that these problems wouldn't be as pronounced. Mm-hmm. And it's often difficult parenting a a teenage foster child. Well, everyone knows that parenting teenagers in general is difficult. Those of you who have your own teenagers know that. Um, and it's even more challenging with foster kids because they have a lot of trauma responses to mm-hmm. maybe things that other children who haven't grown up in that sort of environment would have. Mm-hmm. And so it requires a lot more patience and support. Um, you know, for me um, and my husband, I always knew that I wanted to be a foster parent when I got into this work because there is just such a need and we had space and capacity to do that. Um, It especially became more pronounced as I, um, last year when I started representing children and actually going to visit these group homes where these teenagers Mm -hmm. are living and just seeing it for myself and, and saying, wow, you know, I have an extra bedroom in my house. My husband and I are are willing to do this. I can't stand back and not do something. Um, so my husband and I became licensed foster parents, and we currently have a teenager living with us. Um, and it's been challenging, but I would say that, you know, you can be your own best advocate. People are willing to work with you if you're willing to take in a teenager. There's support out there to help you. There's therapists. There's behavior coaches. There's mentors there's people that can come around you if you're willing to take that step that leap Mm -hmm. of faith to take in a teenager there are resources out there to help you and like i said i'll be more than happy to talk to anyone that is considering uh foster care of any age um because there's just a huge need and kids do so much better when they're in a home environment and um it's challenging and it's hard but it's it's beneficial and you can really impact a child's life Mm -hmm. by doing that yeah absolutely and um and you know whether a a family or a person wants to become a foster parent um for the sake of adoption or just a foster parent to fill in that gap in the meantime you know both both are needed um absolutely and i know when we went through our training 11 years ago um we were asked over and over again, you know, why are you doing this and who are you doing it for? Um, and I'm guessing your answer would be similar to mine, which was we are to care for the orphans and we are to care for the weak. And, and um, but it is really hard, right? And so right. I'm sure you have to remind yourself, like, I'm doing this for Jesus. Yes, because it's, it's challenging because, yeah, they do have responses you know, different trauma responses that you're maybe not used to thinking about. You know, they're afraid that you're going to kick them out. You're going to, they're going to do something wrong and you're just going to say, get out of my house. And because they've experienced that in the past Mm -hmm. and they may lash out at you. And so um, it's important to kind of hold all that and, and, and say like, this isn't, 
for me like I mean it, it is like in a way like I am so deeply enriched by being a foster parent and my I've grown a lot in the past you know five months that we've been doing it and um but really that this is um you know this is our small piece of the puzzle that we're playing and feeling mm-hmm. the city one person at a time you know really um trying to give our foster child as normal of, a, of an experience as she can have and um, reaching out for help when we need it and um, and yeah being your own advocate for and your kids advocate um, so that they can get what they need to heal and and you can play a part in that hmm that's really beautiful um well, I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your story. Um, is there anything else that you want to add before we sign off? Anything you forgot or maybe wanted to mention? Um, I, you know, I, I'm really thankful that, you know, my job is hard and I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to ex- ex- show that I have it all together because I definitely don't. There are days that I come home and I am dead. Like, I I feel emotionally spent, and I can't, I don't have space to hold things. And in those moments, you know, it's been really great to have Jesus and the community of the village come around me and say that it's okay. It's okay to hold all the hurt and, and give it to Jesus. Like, you don't have to bear this alone. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard, and it's, um it's it's a lot it's a lot but but i'm really thankful every day that i get to do what i love and i feel that god is really making a difference in what um in the really dark places that a lot of people are kind of afraid to go i'm 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 very honored to be able to have that privilege to go in and fight for um for justice for kids Hmm. that's beautiful well again thank you so much for joining me today and um i hope you have a great rest of your weekend thank you adrian i appreciate it